Hey there, this is Jason and Paul, and we encourage you to follow us on Instagram at stateofloveandtrust underscore pod, where we can continue the conversation with you. Thanks for listening. And now, let's get to the show. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The State of Love and Trust. It's a Pearl Jam podcast, and I'm one of your two hosts, Jason Carapesi. And alongside me, as always, is Paul Gillieri. Paul, we're going to battle through this together. We know that you're sick. Yes, I am under the weather. You just emerged from under the weather. So yeah. together, we're, 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 we, uh, we forge on. Uh, those of us, those of us, those of you who follow us on social media will have seen uh, the post today about uh, technical difficulties. We actually did have a scheduling snafu, hence why the, the show is late, but it could have been late anyways, because I was feeling like absolute garbage yeah. uh, Monday evening. So we had pushed to Tuesday evening anyways, and now you feel like garbage. So we're going to do our best to power through this episode for you guys. Uh, I, I, could not, I, I, I could not fathom the possibility of... of of not making this happen tonight. <laughs> um, one piece of news I want to get out of the way first, and it's, it's for a good reason. Get Today, as we're recording this, is Giving Tuesday, and uh, Pearl Jam is uh, no exception to this uh, trend, meme. I'm not sure what it's called. But uh, if you go to Fandium.com, they've got a uh, win a Fender Player Stratocaster signed by the entire band. Um, and that uh, the donation is a has to be a $50 donation. Yeah, every rock um, warrior could benefit from that axe. Yes. So maybe it doesn't have to be exactly $50. Anyone, but oh, bonus. Anyone that donates $50 or more will also get a custom Giving Tuesday tote bag. So how about that? Yeah, and while you're all in the giving mood, mm-hmm. how about we make just a few extra minutes to <laughs> feed the algorithm? <laughs> Paul has this this glass here, this this thermos, if you will. It's my tincture. Your tincture uh, is going to help you get through. But I appreciate that it allowed you to be in the jovial mood enough to do your thing. Pearl Jam always makes me happy. There you go. You I tolerate, but Pearl, no, I'm kidding. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. (laughs) This episode, guys, is going to be the first of many. It's um, it's a mailbag show, and the mailbag is essentially I asked you guys out there on Instagram and, and uh, Facebook, what would you like to listen to or hear on the show? What kind of questions and topics would you like us to discuss? One of those topics was from a man named Michael Boroff. And he asked um, if he would discuss rarely played songs that we would like to hear more of. Mm-hmm. So go ahead. Well, we had to pivot because that that that's a that's a loaded question. Very that's loaded. a lot to unpack. So rather than examine the entire catalog, we decided to to bank this question and segment essentially the band's catalog into eras, so we can return to this question. Now, maybe maybe that's uh, cheating. I don't know, <laughs> but but I think it's going to give us a lot more content and and, and it, it'll. Uh, Allow us to embellish, I think, this, this idea yeah. a lot more. I love the question, by the way. It's a great question. And it's it's the reason why we're breaking it up uh, beyond just the fact that uh, it gets us to talk about these things more and choose more songs. But yeah, it's a very large amount of songs we probably choose from. And the more we break it down, the more we can talk about those songs individually. So that's what we're going to do today. It's going to be uh, our three songs each that we wish we would hear more of from the no code and yield era so that's the first era we're going to do we will also later on do uh, an over under we only have a couple left in the catalog so we're going to do yield you'll notice the theme here and then of course our live cut and lyric of the week later on which you can probably imagine will come from one of these two albums so without further ado paul let's get into our three songs here and i'll let you uh, lead off all right so if we're limiting ourselves to the, the no code yield era, I think three songs from this era that are rarely played that I would very much love to hear played more often. I, I have one honorable mention okay, and I have three, three to share. So the, the first one is played a, a fairly decent amount, actually, 
not recently, but in general, has been play, uh, played a fairly decent amount. And that song is Smile. And the mm. reason that I have chosen is because I don't believe I'd ever heard it played live before until Ohana Fest. I got to go back to the stat tracker mm-hmm. to confirm that. But that crunching guitar and just watching the bandmates exchange instruments and just, just get out of those comfort zones, it really brings out the best of my. I think it's the type of song that play, played live really does, um, it challenges them in ways that allow them to just have fun with a song. And with the chorus line, like, don't make you smile, it's just perfect. So this this is definitely, I think, as an honorable mention, a song that I would love to hear played live more often. It has been played 78 times. So we're not into the hundreds like a lot of uh, the more popular tracks, but Smile is definitely on there as a a solid honorable mention. But uh, in no particular order, number three for me, uh, I'm going to start with No Code. I'm going to go with uh, the lead single off of No Code, Who You Are. Ooh, okay. Played 44 times, which to me, when I first heard this album, it was one of my favorite songs on it. I think I had a lot of trouble in the mid-90s accessing this album. It was not very accessible to me. I think I was in a headspace as a teenager that I just, I don't think I was prepared for Pearl Jam to evolve yet. I think, uh, you know, I was still very much in that that state of angst, as most teenagers are. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there was something about those those first three albums that that just left this indelible, iconic um, framework for what I believe Pearl Jam's music should sound like. And granted, there was something about Vitology that seemed to test the, the boundaries of that. But at the time, I was of the mindset, like a lot of fans were, that there was just a lot of filler on Vitology. Obviously, the last conversation we, we've had, I've... I've largely pivoted away from that as I've grown older <laughs> to the point where I, I honestly feel that all of the tracks on that album are utterly essential. But at the time that No Code came out, I can honestly say that that Who You Are was a song with, with that world beat, uh, just Jack's flair on the record. I think having a new drummer and, and bringing in a new sound, that was an easy way to land with a song like that. It had a, a very uh, relatable and um, how the word escapes me now, but the percussion in the song I thought was what would, was driving it. And I was very much used to that with Dave as a drummer. There are a lot of tracks, especially on verses that were, that were led into with percussion and they were carried by percussion songs like WMA and glorify G. And so that there was something profound about this, this eclectic world beat and these these little jaunty guitars off to the side. And it just had a really cool rhythm to it. And I, I remember thinking to myself, okay, if Pearl Jam is evolving, I can kind of get on board with this. So it's just surprising to me that for a song that was essentially the, the lead single of this album, if I recall, it hasn't been played more often. And I don't know if, if it's because it's so rooted in Jack's drumming style that that Matt just just doesn't really connect with it, or if it's because upon reflection, the band no longer feels that that's who they are as a band. I mean, once Yield came out, they kind of went away from that process of songwriting where Eddie was really leading the charge. I think mm-hmm. that it was more of a collaborative effort with Matt and Jeff contributing a lot more. And, uh, it's kind of a return to that straightforward rock sound for, for all intents and purposes. So maybe this this album, No Code, is just an album that I don't want to say they'd rather forget it, but I, I do think that it's an album that, for whatever reason, they've resisted going back to. And, and I, don't, I don't think that it's a coincidence that all these vault releases, none of them have included a show from 95 or 96. Well, I think 95 we got... Uh, did we get a vault film. release? Yeah, yeah. but uh, 96 was, was the tour, so... It's weird too because you've got, um, I mean, you got Hail Hail. That's a very popular song which they play pretty often. Uh-huh. It, it they were in different headspace. They yeah, were it was like a strange. garage rock sound, and Eddie was maybe they and... go back to when they were at their most isolated. Yeah, and Jeff almost walked away at one exactly. point. So there could be just some bad memories. Uh, who knows? But um, I, I wonder if they think that who you are is just. Um, maybe a little too weird for the for the average fan i don't know possibly 
I don't know. Well, I'm going to stick in that in that era, uh, obviously era, but like that specific era to the no code sessions. And I'm going to go with Black, Red, Yellow. Oh, wow. Simple, fun little rock song. Um, it's a different way for Ed to sing in the verses, which I find interesting. I, I've always loved the line, hormones firing like a 50-foot Roman. Like, I've never thought of a firework as hormonal, but now I do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and any song that drops Freud into the lyrical matter is okay in my book as well. It, it, it's it's quick, so you'll have plenty of time to fill in more songs in this set list if you're thinking about, like, well, this could take a spot of another song. Yeah, it's, you know, it's it's a slightly longer set list filler than Lucan. So, you know, it's a fun rocker. It's it's a different kind of approach for Eddie, and I like that that it could be dropped into a set list, and you're not really losing six minutes or five minutes, you know. So I think it only been played seven times, only seven, seven times in 25 years. So wow, I'm here for some more black, red, yellow. I don't know about you guys. What do you uh, got for your second choice? My second choice, I'm going with a, an obvious one from from me around the band. <clears throat> Uh, this this track we've we've talked about it a lot on the show, but a little lullaby that Eddie wrote for uh, for Jack Irons and his kid, and I think he tries to shroud it from time, or he did anyway, from time mm. to time. And, and this this idea that maybe there's more of a a darker you know macabre element to it, which I'm not buying for a second. Um, but I I do think that it's just folk country at its best. In, in terms of what Pearl Jam can do. And, you know, <clears throat> you, you know the Metallica song Mama said? Mm-hmm. I, I feel like that was a very polarizing track in the oh, Metallica yeah. catalog at, at the time. And that was were, a single, were, by the way. I know, exactly. And, but there was this this confidence in the release of that track. And I've never felt like Pearl Jam felt very confident about this song. I, I, I feel like it just... It, it, it's something that they deviate away from a lot. And I understand it. I, I would imagine, by and large, the fan base, nobody's really showing up to a show saying, I really want to hear it around the bend, except this guy. <laughs> but I mean, it's only been played uh, 14 times. You know what I mean? That said, though, I think that uh, th- there's a nice way to bake it into a set list. And I think that uh, if, if you ever, and I'm sure Eddie thinks about this from time to time, really tries to build a narrative with these set lists, there's space for that. There's there's space for a song like this. And if he wants to go the direction of the macabre, then you've got a lot of uh, songs <laughs> from the early days where you could weave this one in right there with it. You know, I could see a Dirty Frank once, um, alive footsteps. footsteps around the bend. You know I mean, it's, but, uh, uh, it's just I, I just think it's a, a beautiful uh, folk country track that uh, they really do a nice job holding a candle to that genre without sacrificing who they are as a band I, I really find it to be uh, a very underrated song actually two two thoughts on that one you're right it could very easily fit into how they build the set list if you think about the last few normal tours where the first encore is usually them sitting down playing some more acoustic stuff. Yeah. Um, you're all or none, you're, you know, uh, uh, ass kiss or off he goes, whatever. So it could fit in there. But if it's a lullaby, I could maybe, you thought if I'm wrong, perhaps it could be like an indifference and just close the set. Would that be weird? I mean, it closes uh, an album. It does. Yeah. I feel like you disagree. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, if, if it's, it certainly ends the the show on a different note. Yes. Uh, but I would I would welcome that to be honest with you. I just love to hear it again. So I feel like most shows now are just they they always want to end it like a celebration. Whereas maybe like eight or nine years ago and earlier they would just they would just put shows together and they would just end. However, they felt like ending it. It didn't have to be a celebration all the time. It was like this is a show. It's two two and a half hours long. That's it. And they end it in, in unique fashion, whereas the last probably couple of tours, last five, six, seven years, it's been very much like we've got to end this thing in a celebratory kind of way. Yeah. So now the only drawback with that is you're starting to find a lot of the same tracks occupying that space. Right. That's 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 the problem if you're uh, if you're a fan that's gone to a lot of shows. All right. So my second choice here 
is the song You. Played 24 ah. times. Uh, sometimes love is really simple. And this is exactly the kind of song to convey that. I love Stone's little single note pattern in the chorus. Uh, it really sounds like the subject is kind of floating above everything, and that's how happy they are, which is kind of a cool little, um, I guess, flavor to this. Uh, the soaring outro is, is really fun as well. I think the repetitiveness of you is a simple way to convey how someone can be everything to you. Um, I, I think on the surface, it's like, okay, Ed just kind of threw something together haphazardly. And he may have written it quickly, but I think there is something to to the idea of this repetition, of this simplicity. And it makes me think of, right now I'm, I'm in the middle, I'm two thirds of the way through the uh, Beatles Get Back film. On oh, Plus. I guess to start that. It's long, it's very long. You will spend a long time trying to get through it. Uh, it's equal parts entertaining as it is boring. And I mean that in the best way possible. But um, th- there is ah. a beautiful simplicity to some Beatles songs. And this reminds me of that. Um, and the thing kind of rocks out at the end. So like, I'm, I'm down. I think they should play you more. 24 times is not enough. I need more you. You know what? I think that's an excellent choice. And I like the Beatles all back there. What do you got for your last song? I'm going to go. I'm sticking with the, the actual album tracks here. I'm going to go with No Way. Okay. <clears throat> so uh, this was actually when, when I first heard Yield. It was uh, arguably my favorite song on there. It, it's not my favorite song now. Uh, it, it was quickly replaced, but uh, upon initial listen, first couple times, in fact, it definitely was was the one that took the mantle. Uh, I I always found this song to just be just a fantastic rock song. I love the pacing of it. I think the percussion's great. Um, when you look at the lyrics of this song, I feel as though it's something that they don't like playing a lot because. I think they've graduated beyond this idea of I'm going to stop trying to make a difference. I think that that runs contrary and counter to who they are as people. And I think that might have something to do with their reluctance to want to play a song like this is that maybe this was kind of a a down moment in the band's uh, sphere where they really started to question the toll it takes to try and make a difference and whether it's better to just yield and, and let go. But that does not take away from the magnitude of the track. You know what I mean? And, and you've shared your, your personal story, your backstage story about the song. <clears throat> and for whatever reason, Stone does not like playing this song. Um, I don't know. It's, it, I think that uh, <clears throat> it's, it's a song that I'm surprised has not uh, developed more of a cult following based around the idea that the band dislikes playing it, or, or at least Stone does. Uh, I don't want to hear it played to the point where it, it starts to get under Stone's skin, obviously. <clears throat> you know, that I think would be would be counterproductive because you're not going to get the type of performance you want out of anybody if that's the case. But with a song like this, I think the lyrics are actually very well done. I think musically, it's strong composition. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, let's call on an angel. Well, I agree with you. No way. Mm. Uh, that's my third choice. Uh, played 12 times in total. You and I saw one of those times in Los Angeles eight years ago. Um, almost to the day, actually. <laughs> About a week and eight years apart. Um, I've always loved this one, just like you. Uh, what a groove that, that Jack and, and shortly after Matt um, create with Stone. That droning, lurching guitar riff. I love it. A little bit extra heavy on there, too. Uh, and you mentioned Stone's lyrics. I mean, I picked this out as one of my uh, favorite non It's one of lyrics. his best. Yeah. All, all the static in my attic shoots so down good. my side nerve to the ocean of my platitudes, longitudes, latitudes. So, so absurd. I'm telling you, man, it, it's just some really great songwriting here. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe in the in the current socio-political climate, it's easy to really feel this song, too. Trying to make a difference and giving up on that. It's, it's exhausting. You know, I, I, maybe the band doesn't feel so much anymore that they're in that space, but I think a lot of us do now based on just the, the futility of making change. It's just so hard that the, the way things are kind of stacked or rigged against or, or the, the playing field isn't level 
for a number of people and groups is very obvious yeah. now. So I can see how this can become relevant to others. So maybe if they don't feel this way, they could at least say many others are, which would be the reason to bring it back. Um, so I, th for me, that's it, it's musically and lyrically. I think it's just a phenomenal song that they've just, you know, maybe just because of Stone, but it's something that I think if they perform well is a really fun track, and it can say a lot. It can really say a lot. Totally agree with you there. What do you guys think? What do, What are your three songs that are regularly played from these two albums or these two sessions? I should say this era. Um, obviously, I chose a couple of tracks that aren't even on albums. Uh, and, and let us know what you think. What are uh, your I, deep cuts? I will not be satisfied until I hear a Leatherman shout out. No, that's true. <laughs> Let's move on to our over under. And this week's over under is from Yield, like I mentioned. And uh, I'm going to start things off with my overrated pick. Again, disclaimer, we don't hate any of these songs. We have to choose. We are forced to choose by the fact that we created this segment. Yeah. So the Can overrated take song. What, what's up? I, I'm going to take a guess as to what your overrated song is. Okay, take a guess. Wishlist. You are correct. Not. <laughs> you are correct. Um, an easy sing-along. It's slower. It's hooky. And I think everyone uh, really latched onto this one, casuals included. And it is lovely, especially that Camaro's hood line. But isn't it played too much? I mean, maybe it just feels like it is. Like, I like it and all, but when I hear it live nowadays, I'm like, I could do something else. It just, it kind of, it lacks some dimension that I think people mask by their love of some of the lyrics. And that's fine, but I think it's elevated higher than it's worthy of being. And maybe the popularity is is just what makes me kind of, cr not cringe, but like, it's a nice little ditty, but it's just, it's, it's elevated higher than it needs to be for me. Eh, well, <clears throat> I, I find it to be a, a an exemplary exercise in imagery personally, but uh, I don't know, man. It's definitely not overrated to me. Fine. Well, then tell me why I'm <laughs> wrong. What, what What is your most overrated song? Oh, wait, hold on. Can I guess? Yeah. Do the evolution. Yeah, you called it. <laughs> <laughs> so for for me, this song is, uh, I'm going to be honest, and I know a lot of listeners are not going to agree with this. I'm not particularly fond of this track. Really? I, I never have been. I. It's not that I uh, I wouldn't kick it out of bed. But at the same time, um, well, I guess that I guess that makes no sense, does it? I'm not particularly fond of this draft, but I would kick it out. That means your standards are very low. Yeah, apparently. Uh, <laughs> look, here's the deal. This is a song where Stone writes the lyrics. Ed, I'm sorry, Stone writes the music. Ed writes the lyrics. There's no Jeff on this track because Stone wrote the bass line for it and then recorded it. It's wildly popular amongst Pearl Jam fans. It reached 33 on the Billboard Alternative Songs chart. It was on their greatest hits album. <clears throat> I think if you don't get the video to accompany this song, I question whether or not um, it has the same relevancy in the Pearl Jam catalog. I think that when, when you listen to this song, <clears throat> Ed loves it, by the way. It's his favorite song on Yield. He's on record as saying that. He says, I can listen to it like it's some band that just came out of nowhere. I just like the song was able to listen to it as an outside observer just really play it over and over maybe because i was singing it from a third person so it didn't really feel like me singing lyrically it's strong i think there's a great narrative there and it is underscored beautifully by the animated video uh, so i think as a package it really packs a punch but but musically it just feels like drudge to me uh, it's namely because the the ed's lyrics it's just the way his his vocal delivery just sounds like this howling dr just drudge to me i mean it's just there's this weird effect over the top of it it just it sounds like he's just screaming to be honest just it, it's which is fine in a song like lucan which is only a minute long but <laughs> do the evolution is considerably longer than that and so even the choral bit just feels a bit contrived to me um, I read uh, 
It's an E online review of the album. They call Do the Evolution a song that, that had a Neil Young Beck hybrid feel. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of either one of those artists. Not that I don't like Neil or, or there aren't Beck tunes that I enjoy. But if you told me, hey, let's marry two styles together and see what we get, those aren't the two that I would particularly find a great affinity for and say, let's go with those. <clears throat> but I do think it's a, it's a pretty accurate characterization of the track. It's just a song to me. It just sounds like this howling delivery and it lacks any real harmony to me. So I don't know. Um, I think it's more of a, a novelty. It, it's, it's a fun thing to, to watch. But when, when you hear it live, absent the video component, it, it really loses, I think, an, an important element to what makes the song the song. I really, it's one of those rare instances where I almost feel like the, the, the video and the song almost have to be, you have to order those together. You know what I mean? You can't go a la carte with this. And for that reason, to me, I think the song's a bit on the overrated side. You see, I, I don't like pointing out when you're wrong, but you're wrong. And, you know, only four bands have ever made Madison Square Garden shake. Pearl Jam is one of those four bands. You know what song did it? Do the fucking evolution. <laughs> so I have to say, if, if 18,000 people at MSG can get so excited for this song, they make the building shake. You have to be wrong. His opening scream in this song. Like when you hear this on the album, in your head, you're thinking his voice is gone. It's gone. He's never going to be the same again. And somehow it's not. He continues yeah, uh, to No. <laughs> oh, God. I don't know. Fine. We remain at an impasse. I, I, I humbly await our listeners um, pulling you and me to shreds. I'm sure that people are like, what's wrong with you, Jason? As much uh, as it's uh, pretty impressive, though, that we, we landed on Wishlist and Do the Evolution. And those are two polarizing tracks, I think. Yeah, and I, I think, but I think they probably have most, more wish list than do the evolution. Possibly, I, I don't know. I feel like I feel like evolution is going to be more of a uh, contrarian opinion. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, we'll, we'll find out. The people will tell us. All right, underrated. Here we go. Can you guess? Uh, I think we have the same song here. Do we? I think so. I, I bet we don't. Okay, I'm going with low light. I am going with pilot. All right. You know, I'm actually really glad you picked that song. Let me tell you why. Go ahead. So uh, no one thinks of this song like ever. It is a forgotten song. It is. Um, but it shouldn't be. This one is the question to Low Light's answer, which yeah. Jeff has stated before. And simply for the fact that Jeff uses Pajas Pilot and his dog as his avatar for feeling alone is pretty great. I, I already love it. Uh, I love the chorus guitars bouncing off each other in, in each ear, too. Um, since Yield came out all those years ago, 23 years ago, I always rated this song. I always really enjoyed this song. Um, I thought it had some really fun qualities juxtaposed with some more cerebral dynamic moments. And it's got a lot going on within its short running time. It's It's got some heavy codified oops codified lyrics that are typical of jeff but the music kind of swings from like this kind of like a delicate you know pretty space into more like a rock and roll thing that's a little bit more jagged um and then you have like the that that funky little um the the, the dog references uh, like pilot, he has a, a, a how's it go? Like pilot, I have, I have a, dog. a dog, obeys, listens, kisses, loves. Like, I, that look, this is so silly. Like, why would they think to put that in there? But it, again, you know what? It reminds me of the Beatles a little bit. Going back, listen to some of these older songs. Listen, I had a white album on today, yeah. Oh, what a good one! Like, happiness is a warm gun, and like, yeah. bang, bang, shoot, shoot, like in the in the one year as he's singing happiness is a warm gun so like little things like that uh and, and i could even see this extended live with a stone solo it has the kind of groove that lends itself to a stone solo like this is one of those songs that just needs to be played more i'm sorry it just it it's a it's a very underrated song all right 
So you're not going to disagree with me because you you do like the song, I think. But you're going to basically no. Actually, I'm not particularly fond of that song either. But oh, never mind then. Fuck me. Uh, I do think that Pilot is a song that it has grown on me more and more to the point where I'm I'm far more open to it now than I used to be. I, the opening to the song I loved when I first heard it. I've never liked the chorus. I think really, uh, yeah. <clears throat> I don't know. It just doesn't have any real rhythm to it. It's just just kind of feels like a lazy it, it feels like the song's going somewhere then the chorus hits and it's just kind of this yell as it falls off a cliff <laughs> and then eventually gets itself back and <clears throat> but maybe it's the alone person yelling out into the ether maybe so i uh i honestly can appreciate all of your points i find them very God, you're being so nice to me right now yeah go ahead tell me about low light yeah we're going low light um so Low Light to me is by far the most uh, underrated song to me on the album. It is my favorite track on the album. It, it, it quickly replaced No Way. I just find it, like you said, to be the answer to Pilot at, the, at per Jeff's um, interview responses to the tracks. <clears throat> but more than that, it's so beautifully composed. The, uh, the rhythm and the timing of it are a little different than anything else that uh, that I, I'd actually say they're a little different than anything else you'll hear in the catalog, but specifically Yield. Uh, it's just a beautiful track. It's got some piano in there, the bass. I, I love the progression too, with the C, the B, the E minor. I really, really enjoy the way that this song moves. <clears throat> um, lyrically, it's, it's very poetic. Uh, if you want to draw conclusions about the images, um, people have attempted that, so I, I certainly wouldn't be the first. Uh, but I, I just think that when you when you hear some of these these lyrics, this idea that you are alone, and there's something about presence, being in the present tense, to borrow a, a track from the previous album, <clears throat> and seeing your tracks in somebody else's way back behind you. <clears throat> clearing a path to, to home and then just kind of feeling a sense of calm and the, the, this low light. And uh, I love the, the line, they wear my mask, your first, mine last. This idea that I'm going to, I'm going to cast away this identity this, the, the, that isn't mine, that, that I didn't ask for, that, that I realize I've adopted through mistakes of my own doing but it's a song in many ways about redemption. And I, I find that to be very uplifting. And so while there is an element of sadness to the song, I think you listen anytime you have a, an E minor in a song. And so it just makes me think of, <laughs> of, 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 of what's that, that with that whole thing. Was it um, uh, uh, Spinal Tap? D minor is the saddest of all keys. Well, you, <laughs> or uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's Tenacious D, I forget. I think it's E minor, is it? <laughs> mm great so for me low light is uh the most underrated track definitely a fair shout i'm not gonna fight you there because i think it's definitely uh up there and i considered picking i like your pilot call too it's great because the two songs really are are part of a single narrative yeah yeah i i i kind of thought you'd probably go with that anyways which is another reason why i went with pilot but there you go guys what do you think are we are we in the right path here? Are we way off the mark? You let us know. You let us know. Uh, and in the meantime, we're going to get to our Lyric of the Week. This week's Lyric of the Week, we alluded to it earlier. It is from Yield, and it's No Way. Paul, no way. This is the uh, the very opening of the song. Mm-hmm. Take me down a path here. What a great opening line! Here is a token of my openness. Yeah, you know, and it's it's this idea of, of saying, "Look, 
I don't want to disappear. I want to be open. But the way I feel, it's illuminating. It's revealing to me. My mind is really clear right now, but I, I need somebody to be there for me. There's, a, there's a, an alienation and a loneliness present in these lyrics. But it's the, this idea of, of presenting, in, instead of a token of gratitude or a token of appreciation, something that's designed to ultimately <clears throat> see, uh, uh, see as part of this reciprocal relationship with somebody else, I'm going to give you a token of openness that can be perceived in a lot of ways, you know, um, openness to be modeled for others or uh, openness to be more accepting and tolerant of others. It's a lot of angles you can come at with this. Uh, there's just a lot to unpack with these lyrics. I, I feel that uh, the rest of the song does a fine job of providing some more clarity, but more than that, the line, I found my mind too clear. I just need someone to be there for me. At some point, that's part of the openness of, of letting go and saying, I've been trying to make a difference to be a pillar of change, to, 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 to lead. And I think the band really tried that with the Ticketmaster battle and things like that. And a lot, a lot of their stances and their, their songs rooted in social commentary. It takes a toll, <clears throat> you know, and, and in some ways, the yield represents their denouement. It represents the, the, this dark moment for them as, as people where they just felt like we just can't, we can't hang the fabric and the identity of who we are as a band on this anymore, you know, because it, we're just, it's going to tear us apart. <clears throat> and so they, they made this conscious effort to kind of hide away, to just give in, to yield. And uh, I think that they're, they're it was a necessary relinquishing of things that they couldn't control and a refocusing onto what they could. And that, that refocusing did not come at the expense of social justice because the band has continued to pound the gavel for that. But they did a wonderful job of recognizing <clears throat> that they were going to implode if they didn't find a way to start being more collaborative and find a way to start being more open of each other in addition to others. And I think that in many ways, this, this set of lyrics defines the um, therapeutic answer to the turmoil that was no code. Uh, you know, yeah. they, they need someone to be there. And so they, they leaned into each other in a lot of ways as opposed to drifting away from each other. So I think in a lot of ways, the, the opening <clears throat> lyrics, they, they oftentimes remind me less of, of Stone and this individual path, the turbulence but, or turbulent path, if you will, and more of a reflection and a commentary on who they are as a band and this idea that they really do need each other. I'm going to take it on, a, on the personal path then. Um, now the, the, these lyrics for me are, are very interesting in, in that if you taking these out of the context of the song, uh, you know I think this the rest of the song, as you mentioned, um, really informs the informs this verse. So if you take them as you get them, and you get someone who's vulnerable, who's fragile, get who's willing to take a risk, which is something that you admired from where I'm sitting, and. They feel they need to do something, show something, or else their existence is in question. Like, what is their purpose if they don't act? I understand this. This is, this is something that I think many people wouldn't understand. There are so many causes, issues, charities, or whatever that I'd like to help with. You know, I've, I've donated to uh, fire departments when we had parts of California on fire. Uh, I've donated to local businesses in need of help. I've, I've donated to cancer research in like my kid's preschool for supplies or whatever. Mm -hmm. The list goes on. And I'm sure many of you out there have done similar things. And to help others in these ways, donating toys for those privileged kids at Christmas time, for example, it makes you feel good, sure. But it makes you feel like you're a part of something. You're a part of the community, local or greater. And that connection is what living is all about. To be isolated isn't living. And I think that's a theme we see a lot of on yield. It's no surprise as the band had isolated themselves from Vitalogy through No Code, as, as you mentioned, and even the making of this album. Um, I think this, this song and this album was 
um, and these lyrics specifically, this was kind of their like, hi, here we are again, even though they'd certainly been out there in those years with no code and some tours. Um, but then you have this awareness of how you're feeling and the truth in it. Like, wow, this is really who I am. Maybe the subject took it for granted before. And at the end of the day, as much as we want to make the aforementioned connections, if there's little to no reciprocation, we can sometimes feel like shit again. And it, I think the key is though, is that it's not about validation that we need. It's, it's, less, it's less and more at the same time. It's less in that we just want someone to know we're there to see us. And that can be enough. And that can actually feel greater than validation, especially public validation. I know this is hard for a lot of younger uh, listeners to kind of wrap their heads around because we've been conditioned to seek public validation via social media for, for like two decades now, <laughs> but we just need someone to be there for us. It's simple as that. And, and as Ed's saying in uh, Tremor Christ, even small oceans get big, big waves. So little yeah. things can make big differences <clears throat> and simply seeing um, another for who they are is enough to make someone feel good about who they are, which is th the fact that I can take all of that out of five lines here in a song that even says a little bit more than that. It's like, right. Stone. Well, 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 well done, my friend. Agreed. Let's well, uh, well, thank you. I love to know what you guys think about these lyrics as well, because, uh, I think we, some lyrics each week, we, um, a little bit more straightforward or I don't want to say one dimensional, but a little bit more one dimensional. I think these have a lot more depth to it than we. Yeah. A lot remember. of ambiguity. Too. This actually, this reminds me of save you in that ah. people listen to save you and go, ah, this is just some fluff dad punk song. It's like, no, there's actually some layers to those lyrics. Go back yeah. and re-listen, go back and read and listen. So interested to see what you guys think about this one. Moving on though, to our live cut of the week. Okay, Paul, live cut of the week. Not a lot of choices here. Only 12 total in 23 years. Where are we going to go? <laughs> well, I'm really big on sound quality. Yes. And unfortunately, uh, we didn't get a lot of that from the shows, at least, that they played No Way At. Uh, the Green Habit compilation, famous compilation of, of songs that uh, essentially is what, what I've tried to do, uh, which is try to find the best version of every song I and mean, obviously I have different stipulations right i, I mm -hmm. confine myself to the actual tour of uh, the album from which the song takes place and so on and so on um but green habit really really likes atlanta september 1st 1998 which i, I think is a, a pretty strong version uh, i wish we had this you know off the charts soundboard recording of that but in lieu of that uh, what I'm going to do is send us to Philly. We're going back to the spectrum. And, ah. uh, you know, Pearl Jam closed this joint down. This is night two on October 28, 2009. And they set out to play every song they'd ever done during those, those, uh, those shows. They didn't quite achieve that goal, but they <laughs> came pretty darn close. And I found that uh, they really brought their A game to each song because there was a novelty to playing the song at that venue. Uh, this was the last show ever that was going to be there. And they knew that they were attempting to play almost every song. So th there really wasn't any incentive to phone it in. Not that Pearl Jam ever does, but I, I really feel like they, they felt like this is, this is a box hit type of a show, which it ultimately became. But when you have that mentality of this is, this is going to be a defining live set for us, you know, in the way that something like song remains the same was for led zeppelin it's hard to think that there would ever be a, a poor performance of the song or if if nothing else that the band is going to be a completely invested in the, the, the performance and i thought they did a resounding job of that so uh, i'm going to go october 28 2009 at the spectrum Tonight, 
So you're right. It sounds really, really good. Stone's guitar, especially. I love how heavy the bridge is. Jeff really hits the mark. Uh, I love the extended bridge riff on the outro with Mike just doing his solo bit. It's just a really fun take on the original. Um, I know sometimes I think in, in the middle of these 12 performances, they started playing it a little bit differently to the original recording. Um, but this one is really, really solid. And, and you're right. You know, this is, I think they knew this was the last chance to try and play every song they could because the farther you get, the more songs there are. And yeah. you can't, unless you're playing five or six nights at a venue now, you're not going to be able to put every yeah. song on the, on the set list. So this was their last big chance. And it was to close down a legendary arena that Bruce told them they should play. And, you know, it kind of culminated at the same time as I believe the Phillies win the World Series. So, yeah, big... um, or maybe they lost. I can't remember, but they were in the World Series at the time. So there was a lot of excitement in the in the air uh, at the time there in the city of brotherly love. Right. Is that right? Yeah. That's I'm not it. sure who they're loving because it's, they, they hate a lot of people over there. But <laughs> <laughs> sports fans, at least. Um, but yes, yeah, a, a great choice. And I'm actually going to go back and listen to the Atlanta 
98 show just to have a have a have a look see because there, there, yeah. were, there were some 98 shows that had some solid audience qualities. I remember Irvine and not yeah. Irvine. Inglewood was really, really good. Um, so perhaps there's uh, some honorable mentions that come from the actual tour, but yeah. let us know you guys, what you think about that live cut. If you uh, are going to call blasphemy on Paul for skipping his own rules, uh, go for <laughs> it. He'll, he'll take, he'll take your calls. Well, I did say that I, you know, sound quality is paramount. So you can email him at paulnerfest <laughs> at gmail. Uh, there you go, gang. We will be back with you next week at our usually scheduled uh, bat time and channel. I assure you. And um, we might talk Saving about Saving the world one Pearl Jam track at a time. <laughs> Are we? I don't even know. Um, I forget what we're going to talk about next Look week. Look at us. We, we, we might talk about that uh, that new Audible show from from uh, Eddie Vedder called I Am Mine. Uh, very interesting conversation he has with the listener and only the listener. And also, by the way, guys, uh, some of you have reached out. Um, and we're going to do this. We're finally going to do this. A round table. A round table of people from one country talking about their experiences. And it starts down under. We're going to Australia. We're going to talk to fans from Australia in an upcoming episode and a round table. Talk about their experiences with Pearl Jam down there in the Southern Hemisphere. I can't speak. I'm so excited. And coming up, we'll be talking to our good friends in Rio. Black Circle. New album coming out this month. If I didn't know any better, I'd say it feels like Christmas, doesn't it? Oh, my goodness. It's like Ellen's 12 days. Ding, 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 <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Okay, clap, that's monkey, enough. Clap. <laughs> <laughs> that's enough of, of that from me and Paul. We'll see you next time. And until then, you've been listening to The State of Love and Trust. Yeah.